Well, amen. That's great. Look in your Bibles. Join me today, if you would please, in your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter number 14. The book of Mark, chapter number 14. It's so good to see you today. I'm sure that we still have some folks enjoying Thanksgiving, and uh, but we're glad that you're here today, and we hope you had a happy turkey day, and uh, it's a good do you know there's only 24 days left? Shopping days. I think probably tomorrow will be Blue Monday, since Friday was Black Friday. And I don't know what Saturday was, but I'm glad that we're here today. I know you've got your Christmas shopping all done. And. Uh, so we can just preach a while. The, I sure feel sorry for folks from Alabama. <laughs> and uh, that was a heartbreaker, I'll tell you. Let me talk to you today. For just a minute, have you ever said, I will never have another kid? Have you ever said, I will never go into debt again? I would like to talk to you today about I heard someone say, never, say never. So I'd like to talk to you today for just a little while about one of the most powerful preachers in all of history. He stood at Pentecost, preached, and 3,000 folk responded to the gospel and were saved that day. He authored two books in the New Testament and probably was responsible for the book in which we are reading today because it's believed that Mark just listened to Peter's preaching and his teaching and pinned down what Peter was teaching Mark. I'd like for you to read with me verse 26 through 31. And I'd like for you to follow along now and listen to every word. The Bible says, and when they had sung an hymn, they went out unto the Mount of Olives. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night before the cock crow 
twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, if I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise, also said they all. Peter said, there's one thing you do not have to worry about, Lord. You don't have to worry about me denying you. Never, never, never will I do such a dastardly deed. Now, there's a difference between Judas and Peter. Judas betrayed the Lord. Peter just made a mistake and denied the Lord. Would you read for me, with me, over in verse 66 of the same chapter? And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And the maids saw him again, began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom we speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said unto him, For the cock crow thrice, twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. How did Peter get from verse 31 to verse 72? How do you go from never, never, never to denying you even know it? I don't know if you realize this or not, but Peter many times referred to Jesus as Lord, as Christ, as Master. But when he denied him, he was just the man. How do we get in our mind's eye 
How do we get in our attitude? How do we get in our loyalty from thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, to just, I know not, the man? We would say we would never, never, never say what? Now, we would never be so disloyal, no, so dishonoring, so uh, absolutely belligerent turncoat to say, I know not the man. Someone has said to err is human. Do you believe that? Do you believe that because you are a human? You're going to fall flat on your face every once in a while? Do you believe because you are human that you might make a few mistakes? You know, like putting different color socks on? <laughs> or maybe putting your T-shirt on backwards? Now, I know no one here has ever done that, but sometimes do you misspell a word? Thank God for spell check. Amen. I didn't know what that was for a long time. It just popped up on my phone, and I looked at it, and I said, well, that's pretty good, ain't it? And I had no idea how to get it from there down to where you want it to be. I just kept spelling. Sometimes we make mistakes. We see a lady approaching the door. We men fail to open it. Sometimes we actually walk into the wrong bathroom in the public place. I did that at the hospital. And I noticed the furniture in there was quite different. <laughs> I walked out and somebody said, what you doing in there? I said, I'm looking for anybody that walked in the wrong door. Russell Baker, a humorist, wrote, I make the average number of mistakes, maybe 150 or so in a busy day. Most of them aren't terribly serious. Putting too much sugar in the coffee cup, picking up the telephone and dialing the number that's on that phone. Spelling harass with two R's. Oh, you thought that was the way it's supposed to be. Humans do make mistakes. We goof up and create messes. They mishear, misinterpret, misjudge, misread, misspell, misspeak, misunderstand, and yes, even make a mistake of sinning. Could I read for you out of the book of Romans, chapter number 7, what Paul said about this subject of making a mistake? I read for you in verse 14 of chapter 7 of the book of Romans. To err is human. And then I add a postmark to forgive is divine. 
To err is, to, is human. Because we are humans, we're going to make mistakes. But thank God our Heavenly Father loves us and stands willing to forgive us. Paul said, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. And for what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that I do. Can anybody identify with that? If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Where does sin come from? Not outside. Sin dwells in us. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Ever notice you don't have to teach your kids how to lie? They start real early. As soon as they get on to the hospital, they start crying, yelling, screaming, like there's 10,000 boogers in their room. You walk in there and pick them up. <laughs> well, nothing wrong with them. They're just lying to you in our members. You don't have to teach anybody how to sin. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. And then Paul looks at himself and sums up his life and sums up his mind and his life and he says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God but with the flesh, the law of sin. What happened to Peter to get him from I will never to I know not the man? What happened to you that caused you to slide? You know, when you used to love to come to church and you could walk in and you could not wait till the singing started and the preaching started, you could not wait. 
Now you can't wait till it's over. What happened? How did Peter get from, I will never, I will die, instead of being, uh, of being ashamed or afraid of you, I will do, I'll even die for you. Whatever happened to take him from there to warming his hands at the devil's campfire, finding comfort with the enemies of God, being very satisfied with what Satan had to offer. You say, preacher, uh, I don't know what it has to do with me. Uh, I want you to know something. What happened to Peter was for our benefit. Somebody says, well, preacher, I'm getting tired of coming to church and you preaching to me. Why do you come? Why do you come? I would just like maybe today to caution some of us, to caution some of our young folks and maybe moms and dads and caution some of us that you are not above being another Peter. I am not above. Becoming caught up into this world and allowing the law of sin in my members to bring me and pull me and get me on the slippery slope of backsliding. You say, preacher, you don't have to yell. I just want you to hear. Notice now, if, if, we're, if we're very careful, we notice that what happened to Peter didn't happen overnight. Falling away from God, falling out of the will of God does not happen overnight. You do not get up one morning and say, well, I'm just going to poof this Jesus thing off. Now, you just do not go from I will never to the devil's campfire overnight. It's a progression. It's something that takes place on Missing Wednesday evening. It's something that takes place when we begin to say, I don't need to go to the Thanksgiving meal with that bunch of hypocrites. But you should come on, there's room for one more. He said, well, I, I'm just uh, not going down there because of all those hypocrites. Did you know that if you have that attitude, that hypocrite is closer to God than you are because he's standing between you and God. How do we get there? Please let me allow us to caution today. Peter was not trapped into doing what he did. Backsliding is a process. The Bible says a backslider in heart is filled with his own way. Would you note something with me? Jesus told Peter, you will deny me three times before the cock crows twice. Notice Peter denied the Lord and then the cock crew. 
but it did not gain his attention. The rooster crowed, Jesus said it would, and he crowed the first time with no absolute results on Peter. You have noticed that, I suppose. Surely Peter wasn't so stupid to know that the crow rooster just absolutely, accidentally crowed with no message at all. But Peter was so bent and so afraid and so ashamed of Jesus that regardless of what took place, the rooster could have crowed for 30 minutes. It would not have bothered Peter a bit. Kind of like my preaching don't bother you. Kind of like the warnings of God does not gain your attention because you know where you're going and you know how you're going to get there and you don't care who you step on to get there. You will not entertain the warning of God in your life. trouble with that, we're all just alike. How many times has God had the rooster crow in your life and you said, what an accident. Isn't that strange that that happened like that? And we go right on doing and right on doing And the rooster crows, a sermon is preached, a song is sung, a word from a child or a mother or a father or a mate, and we just keep right on sliding down the slippery slope, getting farther from God all the time. The sweetness of his relationship and the beauty of his fellowship. We just keep around doing our thing. Oh, what we're discussing now, and I want you to think about it, is an inward spiritual disease called falling out of the will of God. I've preached funerals that was more noisier than we are today. I've had more dead folk say amen than I'm getting today. I wonder, do you think that we've been inoculated against this terrible inward disease? That's called falling away. The wise men called it backsliding. Peter has hit the slippery slope. And he has said to our Lord, never. Not ever. 
Jesus, you can count on me. I've got my sword, and I'm ready to go. Although all these pitiful other disciples, those who have not been as blessed as I, all they, all of them, they may be offended, not me. Never, 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 never. You think maybe we got some of those nevers around here? I would like to remind you of what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. It says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand Take heed, lest he fall. I wonder, and I'm preaching to myself now, as well as I'm preaching to you, how often do we sit down and take heed of where we are financially? I bet you know every penny you got and every jar you got that Obama don't know about. Otherwise, the Bible said a man ought to know the state of his flocks. I dare say that we know where we are financially. I dare say that we are very regular and prompt to check how we are physically. We take heed to that. We have our blood pulled. Uh, we have it checked. We know we have so many tests that the doctor's rich and we're broke. Trying to find out how we can stay longer in this miserable, stinking world called the earth. And we take heed to our finances, take heed to our health. How long has it been since you took heed of where you were? Spiritually. Just where are you from when Peter said, I will never do I don't know the man? Where are you in relation to that scale? And I thought maybe it might do us good today, just for a, ten minutes now. I've got the introduction just about done. I think I have your attention. But I just wonder today, are there some warning signs that maybe we can get from Peter that might keep us from going where we don't want to go and ending up where we don't want to end up. And at the end of our life, all we have is just a few tears because we blew it. When I was doing seminars years ago, I used to talk about how easy it is to blow it. And I, in my mind's eye, I see 
gray-haired old woman sitting on the front porch with a bald-headed old man in rocking chairs looking out over the beautiful yard that they put together speaking through toothless gums their strength is all gone their beauty is all gone opportunities all gone and as they rock back and forth he says to her we blew it, didn't we, babe? You gonna blow it? When it comes your time, all you're gonna have is just a few tears. See, Peter went from never to weeping bitterly. How did he get there? What's the signs we need to look for? Could I give you the first one? Overconfident. Not me. I work out. Me too. My Bible said bodily exercise profit little and you can see I do very little overconfident he said never not I never now, I don't know why Peter was so confident Peter might have been a, an, athlete, athlete, a, a, a an absolute hunk of a man now, I don't know, but I'll bet you one thing. He was good at picking those, pulling those nets. He was good at lifting those fish. And I'll bet you Peter was, was probably a, a, a pretty physical-looking uh, kind of guy. And he might have looked at James and John and some of these other guys. Uh, he may have looked at a tax collector who the biggest thing he had picked up was a pencil. And he might have looked at them and said, Now, Lord, uh, look at all these wimps sitting around the table here. Not me. I'm in shape. You can count on me. Jesus, I got you back. Cocky. Wonder what Jesus used to remind him that he wasn't so cocky. Maybe a cockadoodle-do. I know how to spell cow. Spiritually blessed, Peter was. Overconfident, probably because who else has walked on the water? Who stood there and watched God Almighty yank? the flesh of humanity back and let the glory of God shine through at the Mount of Transfiguration. Who else has stood there and watched Moses and Elias talk about the coming crucifixion of our Lord? He's blessed spiritually. Oh, just think of how old Dr. Peter is going to come and speak for us on a seminar on walking on the water. 
We must be careful. Jesus said, the spirit is willing. But you remember the rest of that? The flesh is weak. Do you, would you imagine that we brought flesh with us to church today? Now, I know it's holy flesh because it's in church. But you know, if, if I read the wrong thing, it might arouse the flesh in me. But of course, we don't have to worry about it because it's holy flesh. We don't have to be careful with what we read because we're holy flesh. We're church-going flesh. Hmm? We are manicured flesh. It don't bother us what we read. It wouldn't bother me if somebody walked by dressed wrong, holy flesh. Would you please tell me the difference in bar-hopping flesh and church-going flesh? I really don't know the difference, do you, Jim? You're trying to tell me that church-going flesh is weak? That's what Jesus said. Peter, don't you know that your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak? Don't you get so overconfident and cocky to think that there's nobody around that can stir your flesh. You say, preacher, I'm too old for my bell to ring. No, your clangers broke. That's your problem. Come on now. Somebody said, man, I don't like this kind of preaching. I don't either because it's hurting me bad as it is you. But don't you get so cocky and I say to you, don't you think that the devil don't know about the weakness of your flesh? We must be very careful. We must learn from Peter that this overconfidence in the flesh is a dangerous situation. Notice verse 31, the second sign we need to be careful with in verse 31 of Mark chapter number 14. And he spake the more vehemently. I wonder, I didn't know what that meant. How do you speak vehemently? I just thought you spoke naturally. I've got a grandkid who is, I don't know, he's somewhere between 1 and 22. That way it don't make anybody mad. But he don't have the ability to uh, get 
the tones and the words and everything. Everything now is just a grunt. And that's got to be, I want the cat that's under, under the couch that we put under the yesterday. Speaking vehemently. Maybe old Peter has developed himself a boastful attitude because violently, passionately, intensely, he is saying, not on your life. Boasting, I'm the one that walked on the water. Boasting, I've seen Jesus transfigured. Boasting, I've had spiritual experiences in my life. I will never, never fall away. Boastful attitude. Thirdly, verse 34. Now they've left the upper room. They've partaken of the Lord's Supper. And Jesus now, I think, is maybe a little sick and tired of the businessness of the, of the thing. And, and it's just a matter of hours before he's going to the cross. And the weight of sin is bearing heavy on him. And he says to Peter in verse number 34, he says to Peter, My soul, it is exceedingly sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but thou will be done. And he cometh and findeth them watching. What's he doing? sleeping. Most of us are absolutely asleep as to the things that's going on around us. We have no earthly idea what the devil is doing to try to rob us of our children. We have no earthly idea what we pump into our living room and what our mate might be thinking and what our kids might be viewing, I'm just thinking that Peter's next step was a failure to watch. Hey, those guys you run around with down at work, you're palling with so close, Have you watched what they talk about? Have you watched the direction their families are going in? I I know we would not be guilty of not watching, but Jesus gave specific instructions to Peter. Peter, I want you to watch. Peter said, I think I need to. Take a nap. Sleepy. Sleeping while the Lord is carrying the burden 
for him. Could I ask you a question? And I'm going to close. Are you asleep spiritually? Do you have any idea your need of Christ? Do you have a, any idea what's going to happen the minute you die? Do you have any idea what your kids think of you when you send them a mixed message about spirituality? We need to be more watchful of what's going on around us. Boy, I tell you, I thought this would be better than this. We're so neglectful in spiritual areas, are we not? Sitting in church with no prayer life. Faithful to church, but not faithful to the Bible. Faithful to attend the church, but spiritually our relationship with God is null and void. In fact, our relationship with God is not even good enough to get us at church this evening at 6.30. Your neighbors are watching. What kind of neighbor are you if you're not living the kind of life that would encourage your neighbor to come to your God? We must be watchful. Notice Verse 54, just these steps. Verse 54 talks about something. And it says that old Peter, he followed the Lord all right. Verse 54, and Peter followed him afar off. Well, I guess that's better than the other other ten. (laughs) We don't even know where them boogers are. Peter followed afar off. So maybe we need to be very cautious. We don't need to be overconfident. We don't need to be walking around boasting. We're Baptists. We got the only truth in the world. Uh, we, we, we're fundamentalists and part our hair on the left hand side and wear ring tip shoes. Uh, we're going to heaven for sure because look the way we're dressed. We don't need to be boastful about that. We don't be neglectful in watching watching for opportunities to serve the Lord, watching for opportunities to win people to Christ, watching for opportunities just to help somebody along life's way, watching for somebody you can give what you got in your pocket to, that God can put something else in your pocket. Watchful. We've got to be careful following at a distance. Peter was following just close enough to be comfortable. Uh, he's following, uh, but not too close. Now, I'll go to church, but I'm not going to become one of them fanatics. No, sir, I, I'm going to be a football fanatic, but I ain't going to be a Jesus fanatic. I'll be a football fan. I'll be a basketball fan. I'll be a baseball fan. 
Well, I want you to know in the Metroplex, you're not very good. You need some help in your fan base. Amen, amen, and amen. But I'll follow, but on my terms. Uh, Yes, sir, I'll, I'll follow when it's convenient. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying if this fits you, you might ought to wake up. Yes, Lord, I'll follow, I'll follow, but I'm not going to be a fanatic. I'll be a Samson kind of follower. I'll kill the Philistines, but I'll sleep with their women. Amen. I'll be a Samson kind of follower. Yes, sir. I'll be a champion for God with a jawbone of an ass, but I'll lay down in Delilah's lap any time I can. Did you know, and I, 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 did I say I was going to close? I thought I said I was going to close. Did you know that Solomon was a far off follower? Now, he had him a thousand mother in law. Now that is wise. How would he choose where he ate Thanksgiving dinner? How would you like to have 999 mother-in-laws on your back for the rest of the year? It was so bad that Solomon wrote a book concerning following at a distance. He called it the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written while Solomon was backslid. And he wrote the entire book summing up what life is like when you're backslid. And he summed it all up in chapter 2 where he says, all is vanity. And with my swimming pools and with my orchards and with my big houses and with our orchestras and with all that I have, I hate life. You know any Baptist who is miserable as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs? Where did you leave your smile? The Bible said the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible says return unto me, David said, the joy of thy salvation. Maybe we're following our Lord at a distance. And then I close again with worldliness. 
we find Peter warming his hands at the devil's campfire. Do we not? How can a Christian be comfortable around the campfire listening to what the devil's crowd talk about and the verbiage that they use and describe in the depths of their heart? How can a Christian be comfortable? But Peter is quite comfortable. You say, preacher, I hear that stuff all the time. And then, verse 68, he just flat out denies the Lord. And lastly, I see he's adapted foul language. And the Bible said that the third time Peter cursed, did he not? Said he cursed and swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. Oh, Peter just had him an old-fashioned, before he got saved, cussing fit. You had any of them lately? Now he's sitting with them, talking like them. Have you heard this? It's deep. If one man calleth thee a donkey, payeth him no attention. But if two men calleth thee a donkey, buyeth thee a saddle. Amen. It means your true identity will eventually show up. But I am so glad that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is, in the book of Luke, describing the same, same situation. The Bible said when the rooster crowed, Peter looked at Jesus, and Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And the Bible said that he wept bitterly. Nothing wrong with getting knocked down. It's just something wrong with staying down. Nothing wrong with making a mistake. But there's something wrong with staying with that dumb thing the rest of your life. My Bible says, in writing to Christians, John said, if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us, and we make him, God, a liar. Talking to Christians. But if we confess our sins, 
But if we confess our sins, if we become overconfident, if we've become worldly, or if we have become neglectful, whatever it is, if we confess our sins, He is faithful. Do you believe He's faithful? And He is just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Isn't that a blessing? God saves a bunch of losers, and He loves them just like they are. Preacher, I don't understand this. Well, I've got two grandbabies. Got a whole bunch of grandchildren and great-grandchildren. I think I'm going to die before I have any great-greats. And every once in a while, as precious as Caitlin and Ben really are, as cute I got to have the cutest grandkids in the world, members of our church. Got that right? All of them. But I don't know what Ben has been eating or what he's been drinking, but it it must be high octane. yesterday there was a foul odor in our house. Yes. I began to search for dead rats. Maybe one of the kids' dogs caught under the counts and died. I didn't know what it was. And then Ben ran by. with the nose of a bloodhound. I said, that kid's rotten. He stinketh. And I said, don't come to Grandpa. Nay. Now Ben, with his diaper full of whatever that was. He still was my grandbaby. Our relationship had not changed, but our fellowship was badly erupted. Ben may want to sit in my lap, Ben is not going to sit in my lap. I, granddaddy, make that choice. Well, don't you love Ben? I do love Ben, but I don't love Ben worth Ben. What has been interrupted is my and Ben's fellowship. Now, that can be fixed with a new modern-day, up-to-date, zip-tie, lay-on dieties. We didn't have them kind when I was 
daddy and kids. We had diapers seven foot long. You had to fold somehow and stick your kid in them. And when you got through, they looked like they needed to go through the washer again. But I began to demand somebody needs to fix this fellowship that me and Ben has here. And Mama came and yanked old Ben right out of his diaper. Flopped him down. Started working on the problem. Took some of that Johnson baby powder. I said, give him a special dose of that. <laughs> We're working not on relationship now. We're working on fellowship. Mama got him all dieted up and smelling good. Up into granddaddy's lap he came. Smelling like a sweet flower. And he is faithful and just. Right into Christians. He is faithful and just. To change our dieting. Sprinkle us up again. And cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You don't have to go home today with the wrong fellowship with God. He said he'll take care of it if we'll confess, turn from.